We are, I'm, the, I'm John Meek, I'm the worship pastor here at the church, and so Sunday mornings you'll see me lead in worship, helping out, and then this is our third service today, Sunday night, which uh, I'm teaching, and Micah, who leads worship with me on Sunday mornings, he'll be leading worship, and we have been going at this for seven weeks, eight weeks, I'm not sure, um, but we've, we started with a series on why, and now we've been going through a series unpacking Genesis. So we're going to jump right into it. We're uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 13 is where we'll be tonight. Um, we've already covered 1 through 8. Yep. So if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Micah will give you a Bible. The red ones have big letters. The black ones have... Average letters, I believe. No Bibles? We all good? Awesome. Well, if you would, we do this on Sunday mornings, and I love it, so I follow Pastor Rob's lead. Would you guys stand with me for the reading of the word as we jump into this? Genesis 1, 1 through 13. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. And here we go into what we're going to unpack today. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the land, let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed in itself is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and how you reveal yourself through your word and this gift that we have, your living word that, that is changing us even now as we just read it. Lord, knowing that your word is living and active and it's, it's shaping us even as we read your word. So we thank you for it. And we ask now that as we dive in together, as we open up your word and rightly divide it, would you guide us, Holy Spirit, that we would divide this thing, uh, your word, faithfully. Lord, would you grant me wisdom, Holy Spirit, speak through me. And then anything that's of me, would you have it just fall by the wayside and everything that's of you would be seed that would bear fruit in all of our lives. Lord, I ask that you would knit our hearts together as we, we dive into your word, that this wouldn't be a program or a, a time of an intellectual elevation or entertainment in any way, but Lord, that this would be a family opening up your word learning together how we can be the tangible hands and feet of Christ on this earth to our community for your glory. Holy Spirit, guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, guys. 
So as we've been unpacking the, the big thing theme I've been saying over and over again is we're looking at Genesis kind of pulled out, um, looking at the story of not how God built the house, speaking of the, the lumber, the nails, the, the very things, the material, but looking at it from the perspective of the functions that he's created, how he's building the home, what it's, what it's meant for and how he's revealing himself through uh, this home that he's building as we've been going through each one of these days. So we unpacked the first day, day one. Well, the very first day that we started this series, we were saying that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we, we started out with this prerequisite that that first line is, is God saying, this is how God made everything heaven and earth. And this is how he did it. And then it, the very first thing it starts out with, it says these things. So there was already things there that it was, uh, we learned the Hebrew word tohu vavohu, which is wild and waste. And there was water and there was, uh, it was formless and void. And so we've been every day that we've been going, we've been seeing how God has taken this creation that he's made, but how Genesis is telling the story of all these things that he's made. He's putting them into, to functions that he's creating order out of chaos and he's building something. And as he's building something, we're unpacking what characteristic of God is he revealing to us as he reveals himself through the story of Genesis, how he's bringing order out of chaos. So then the first day we see that he creates light and he immediately calls light day. So he's, he's, we learn the word, uh, metonymy, which is one, a small part that refers to the whole. So then we see that that first day where he creates light, which is day and he separates light from the darkness. So he created two periods, the light and the dark, which we see that as time. So God creates time in that, that first day. And then the second day he's creating, um, the firmament. So remember we unpacked that he separated the waters from the waters. And so we have the waters above, which is how the ancient near East viewed, uh, the cosmos is that there was water above cause it looked like a blue dome and occasionally water came from it. And so, Oh, there must be water up there. And then there's water below water representing, um, lack of order or order not yet put in place. So he's created this, firmament, this area where we live, where we go outside and we experience the atmosphere. So weather we were saying, so we have day one time, day two weather. And so day three, we're going to pack what God is uh, making today and how he's revealing himself through this structure that he has created. Um, if any of that is too fast, you can go to gccto.com and go back and listen to kind of the, the foundation first day and then day one, day two to catch up, to get to where we are, because the mindset and the, the view that we're taking is very specific to how we're unpacking this, but hopefully that little catch up helped you guys. So let's jump right into verse nine. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, so um, last week we unpacked the, the firmament, right? So how God made the firmament, he separated the waters from the waters, which the, I'm going to say waters a lot of, a lot of times right now. Uh, he separated the waters from the waters in Genesis one, two, we see that the spirit is hovering over the face of the water. So water is there existing. So God's going to create, here's the story of how God created everything waters, 
So this water is a picture of the chaos. Remember, we unpacked in the New Testament how the, the disciples see Jesus calm the wind and the sea. And they say, who is this? That, he, that even the wind and the sea obey him. And, and that's pointing back to Genesis, showing that Christ is God himself. And then we see in Revelation how there's no sea. And I told you, me being a surfer, that really used to bum me out until I understood the, the picture of that the sea is showing the lack of structure. And within the new heaven and the new earth, there won't be a lack of order or structure. So that's what that's saying there. So this water that we see in verse 9, then God said, let the waters under the heavens. So this is all the same waters we're talking about. So he's separated the waters and we have the waters above the firmament and then the waters below, which again is giving us a picture. This is not trying to explain science to us. If we go to Genesis to try to explain science, we're asking it the completely wrong question. It's God revealing himself through it and our place as he's created us. We find our identity through him and as he reveals himself through it. So these waters, um, it's the same waters that we're still encountering. So now we're talking about the waters that are on the earth that have been separated. And then um, we see, it says, let the land appear. So even in this verse, uh, verse nine, even in this, we don't see um, bara, which is the first word that we hear of God created bara. So it's the only, that word is referred to only as God creating. So he, he says, let the dry land appear. So even in this moment, we're not seeing creation from nothing, but I don't want that to rattle you because that's what I'm trying to unpack is that this isn't, um, in Colossians one thirteen and which one sixteen, which we did a few Last week in the morning, we did as our memory verse. There's multiple times, even in the New Testament, where it says that all things were made by him and for him. So there's no question that God created everything through the power of Christ. But what we're saying here is that even in this, let the dry land appear. That appear means to see. It's uh, The Hebrew word is ra, uh, ra'ah, which it's to see, to appear, to make visible, to perceive. So it's revealing. So he's saying it's not creation, brah. It's, it's let it reveal. So let this water recede and let this dry land appear. So again, we're not thinking materially, which is how 21st century Westerners, we think. We think of creation as the thing. Um, we've been unpacking that in the ancient Near East, they were thinking in sense of functions. How does this something exist because it has a purpose? And so God is creating purpose here as he's, he's creating, uh, these things to have their function. So he's, he's separating the waters from the waters and now he has a water recede and the land appears. And then verse 10, and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of waters he called sea and God saw that it was good. Now God is, is creating, um, but we are, our focus is what is he, what is he doing here? What's the, the structure that he set up here? Um, you're going to see by the end of today that as we finish day three, we've kind of finished a chunk that we're going to mirror as we go to days four, five, and six. And so we've, we've kind of, 
finish this one chunk as we finish today. And that this is a story of um, not the material things, but what is, what is our, that's why I titled this the great architect. What is our great architect revealing from this thing that he's created? And I want to take you guys on a little trip with me real quick. Um, in November of 2017, for the first time, I got to go to Israel to be one of the, the helpers for the team that we took, there was some 50 odd people. We met a team from uh, Montana that we took. So Israel was awesome. But on that trip, we, we visited the um, memorial called uh, Yad Vashem, which is the, the Holocaust memorial for all the Jews that were killed during the Holocaust. Um, and it's unreal. It's breathtaking. It's gorgeous. It's, uh, will break your heart, but I want to take you on a, a trip through it real quick. So this is Yad Vashem, this building running through, that's it right there. So this is the whole property. I think this is like the art studio here, but this is the main part right here. So it's an arrow the de- the architect designed it as an arrow and it's cutting actually through the mountain. And it's even at a 5% grade, um, one visualizing as it's cutting through the mountain, the wound that it's leaving. So the wound that it's leaving Israel, and then even the, the grade that he designed it on is that as this wound goes further, it gets deeper, deeper cut into a wound of Israel. And I mean, beautiful architecture as you go inside so this is now inside that arrow. And as you walk down these halls, it's all set up as, uh, it's kind of an illusion here. It looks small. It's actually, it's absolutely massive. And as you walk through, you'll pass through. So say we're standing right here, we would walk through to the right and into a doorway and it would be open with, I mean, everything you can think of from the Holocaust, um, unreal, from, I mean, people's clothes. There's there it's, you can't take pictures in here. So these aren't my pictures and it's really hard to find pictures online of this stuff, but they have in one of these sections to see this wire that's, that's barricading this off. In one of these, there's just glass over that. And underneath is all their shoes. These old, old shoes of all these nameless people who died, never had a proper burial, just murdered. Um, and as you go into each one of these rooms, you see more and more. And it's, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking and so beautifully crafted the way the architect and the designers take you through this journey. You, it, it takes, I think you, you could spend all day walking through this thing as you weave going through this. And then as you get to the very end, there's a, a room called the hall of names. And so for scale, you can see this lady standing here on the side. So as you walk in, you'll walk into a circular platform and off of each side, these are all folders. And their goal is here is to remember and honor the 6 million Jews that were murdered in the Holocaust. And they have, um, from family members reporting lost loved ones, relatives, they have uh, put together uh, 3 million names they have in there. 
So three million names of, of nameless, faceless people who were murdered, they're now remembering. And so you see these, this whole room, these walls are just covered with these folders that are full of names. And you see some of them are empty. So their goal is to, to fill this entire thing up and ultimately remember every single person who lost their life through the Holocaust. And then this is actually when you walk right in. And when you look up, what all those people are looking up at, this is a massive cement cone that goes up. And if you, here's a picture of looking up. So these are a bunch of original pictures of people who were murdered in the Holocaust. And I couldn't find a picture of this, but then see in this picture, how there's the center area, the center circle. So if you look down just in the raw mountain they dug a cone going downward and filled that with water. And so when you look down, so you're looking up at all these people who were these faces of people who were murdered in the Holocaust. And then as you look down, you, you see this exact reflection in the water going down. So it looks so much deeper than it is. And it's, it's gorgeous, the, the architecture, but that's representing all the, again, nameless, faceless people that they have yet to find out about. And so it's representing them in the reflection that's going in the water. And as you come out, you go right and you're right at like the end of this, um, this arrow. And then this is actually a picture I took of, this is the part in that first picture where it flares out, that concrete flares out and you're looking up into the mountains. Um, you're looking more, uh, like North West, I believe at this point. So you're looking at just beautiful Israel. And the idea here is that you would have come through this whole thing. And then you, you come out looking at this beautiful land, um, being thankful for it, having a time to sit and reflect on what you just thought and seeing the beauty of, uh, let's not repeat that. The beauty of I've, I've been given today. Um, it's a gorgeous campus. Now I, I, I tell you all that because it's really moving, but how sad would it be if I describe that place as, Oh, there's this place in Israel, Yad Vashem. It's a lot of concrete. There's some glass, uh, a couple pictures, some water, pretty cool. Would you have any reasonable idea of what that place is I, I was describing? After I just unpacked that and ge- even at that, trying to fly through that, scratch the surface of what that place is to offer. I'm not doing the architect justice, right? That's, that's not at all what that place is. It's so much more than the material that makes it up. It's so much more than that. And we'll find as we, we go through this and in these three days, we're going to find this in the seven days, we're going to find this. And, and I believe we will find this in ourselves that we are so much more than the, the bones and skin that make us. We're more than the sum of our parts. Creation is more than the sum of its parts. 
And as we look at this great architect who's put this together, if we just reduce it down to the things, I think we're missing the, the grand picture, the artistry of what God is doing and, and finding our place in that, knowing how to respond. If I just told you it was concrete, wire, glass, water, pictures, and some folders, you wouldn't walk into there with any purpose, any reverence. But yet knowing what that place is, there's hundreds and hundreds of people in that place and you walk in and it is silent the whole time you walk through. You're walking through next to hundreds and hundreds of people and all you hear are the automated things that they have. They have some old news reports. They have old phones that you can pick up. You, it, it's super interactive. That's all you hear. You're not hearing people talk or chatter. There's a reverence. People know how to respond within it because they know the meaning of what the architect was trying to convey and set the stage. So that's what we have been doing through this whole thing. Um, we're missing the bigger picture if we simply describe a place as those parts. So going on to verse 11, um, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So, can anybody guess? We did the first day we did God created the function of time that we all, it was the beginning of time on day one. And day two, we saw that God created weather, this firmament, what we experience as weather. Can anybody guess as we just discussed, we see it in 11 through 13. Anybody want to be brave and guess what we see, what God's creating today on the day three? Agriculture. So we're seeing all this plant growth, right? So God has the watery seed which reveals the land, which is the first thing we need. And then he says, okay, now we're going to have all, have all this stuff grow. And here's the, here's the structure and the order that's going to take place is that the, these things that grow and we don't even think about this stuff, but it's the beauty of creation. How genius God is, is that, okay, the apple tree will then bear its own fruit and that fruit will carry the seed, which will then bear another apple tree. And this cycle will keep going. And as we've talked, the, the ancient Near East, it's a different culture. So this is, they were awestruck by the structure of creation. Not that simply things existed. They were in awe of a God that put so much structure and everything was functioning according. Um, land, land, plants, herbs, they're all yield, uh, yielding seed according to its kind. Um, Fruit, proof of the curse. We don't see vegetables created this day. So, you know, that's, uh, veggies are a part of the curse. That's not true. <laughs> so here I want to take us to, this is what we, I told you just a few minutes ago that we've completed like one through three, we've completed a, a picture. So this is the foundation one through three, even though we're going to go, it's not the end of creation, but we've created a picture. These are the three foundational um, organs through the structure of um, this ordered world that God has created. Um, to give you an analogy, if I were to ask you, what are the three major functioning organs of our U.S. government that make it work the way it works? If any church should know this, our church should know it. 
Yeah, so we got executive, legislative, legislative, and judicial, right? And those three are the three main organs that make up. They're the functioning organs that make our government work, correct? So we are seeing these are the three. In the same way, we are seeing these three in these first three days, the three main functioning organs that cause, that God has created to function for this to work. We see time, we see weather, and we see agriculture. And that, that's, that gets lost in us a little bit because we're a tech-centered world. And yet, we're still relying on all, all three of those things, huh? We don't think about it because I think we sometimes, a lot of times, view ourselves higher than we ought to. And we think of that as old world, that dependent on like old farmer or something they're like, Oh man, like we're so far past that. And we're really, we're really not. These are these three foundations that we see time, weather, agriculture. And if you, again, I keep trying to get us to go back uh, and to get ourselves out of our culture that we're in now. Um, you heard me say the Bible was written for you, but it was not written to you. So we're reading somebody else's mail. The author of Genesis is writing to a people and the way we communicate even still today is you write within a culture. And so the words have been translated, but we also need to translate the culture because we're living in a different culture. So for them, this is huge time, weather and agriculture. Any one of those things is, could be detrimental. You, you take it out of their world and that's all they had. We were masked by, industrial revolution and technology where we, f- we feel like that maybe we're, we're not as reliant, but we are, don't we? I mean, weather dictates our day. And with California, it's, it's really hard to, to teach that because it's nice, but with weather, we we're having to cater to the, the weather time. I mean, we're all battling time, right? We can't get past that time is time is ticking and we can't get outside of it. Right. And then agriculture, we're eating and sure. Like we're eating processed foods or whatnot, but we're still highly completely dependent on agriculture. And this is 21st century. Think back to ancient near East. These, these are huge for them. And what I want to show you these are these, the three foundations, the executive, the legislative and judicial. If you can view that as the, uh, the foundations of, of what makes this, this thing function. And if you can turn to Genesis eight twenty two, where I'm going to show you something neat. Hopefully it's neat. So last week, uh, we were comparing how we were comparing waters and how the story of Noah mirrors a lot of the story of Adam, where the world was tohu vavohu, so it was water representing chaos. And then we have when, when God destroyed the earth, what did he bring? Water, so tohu, water all over again. But we see in Genesis, watch this. So I'll, I'll leave this up, day one, two, and three. So this is after the flood and God is promising that he won't ever uh, destroy the earth again. And he says, while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and eat winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. Do you guys see that? 
Do you see what happened? Well, the earth remains seed time and harvest day three, cold and heat winter and summer day two day and night day one shall not cease. So again, God's echoing these foundations that he created day one, two, and three, that these, these are the foundations that I've created that you are going to, you're going to live inside. Now, what do we do with this? Are these, are these things functioning now as, as you see, uh, take these three, uh, time, weather, agriculture, are they currently functioning the way they were designed, uh, in Genesis, uh, days one, two, and three? Was it, a, is it, it sounded confident and then it's kind of sounded not as confident. So they're functioning, right? Are they broken? They're broken, right? Yeah. So they're the, the same as us. The, the earth is scripture says that the earth is groaning, that it's, it's longing to be redeemed. The same as us. We brought sin into the world and everything shattered. Everything went crazy. And so we even find ourselves warring with struggling with these, these things. We find ourselves struggling with time, which when Christ comes back or original intent, we're looking back at Genesis isn't a, isn't a struggle there. We see us, we struggle with, and maybe with technology and inventions and whatnot, it's a little easier for us to um, bear through weather. It's not as detrimental to us because we have homes and whatnot. Uh, but you imagine back then weather could be detrimental, uh, a bad storm, a bad drought, and you are done. Your, your life and death is, is carried out in the weather. So we see that weather is even, even now we have storms and tornadoes and hurricanes and, and uh, earthquakes. The, the earth is groaning to be redeemed again. So it's, it's fractured. It's, it's broken. And then I think we even see in agriculture and we see that in the, in the curse, Right. Isn't that what we read in, uh, is it two Genesis two twenty seven something like that? Um, where, isn't that what's, what's cursed is so that the woman's going to have uh, pain and childbearing, but that God says that the ground is cursed and that it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And then it's by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat from the earth by the sweat of your brow. You're going to eat bread. So all of a sudden this, this struggle is introduced, which this was never in original intent of Genesis. And it's important us to know what the original intent was because God didn't, the story of the Bible, isn't God abandoning his original intent. And I don't mean original intent in the sense of that he didn't get what he wanted, but that he created a world that we rebelled from. And God is not in the business of creating something and then abandoning that. And then in relate in revelation, we're going to find something new. God is a redeemer. And so it's important for us to know Genesis and, and the picture that God has created because he, that's what he's redeeming. That's the picture that we have. That's why revelation mirrors the garden so much. It's because it's the joining of heaven and earth back together. 
it's God and his people now can live together again in, in the same space. So what do we, what do we do with this? We've been unpacking that these are the three foundational things and we're at war with them. We're at war with them, but we, we struggle through them. And I think that the takeaway for us simply right off the top is that this should point us to the fact that we are not equipped to be the masters of our own destiny, the masters of our fate, the Lord of our life is that even now as advanced as of a people, as we believe we are, I think God is showing his, his magnitude and that he's going straight to these, these big three, these big three foundational things. You have no control over them. And as we're going to see in the fall, that as the sin that, that Adam and Eve took on the sin that they engaged in was the one of saying, God, God was reigning as their King. And what did they do? They said, I know better. I know better than him. I'm, I'm going to make my own decisions. I don't believe what he said, and I'm going to believe a lie. And the, the tragedy of that is we will, uh, in day six, we'll see that God made man, God made them in his image. And then the lie was that you'll be like God. What's sad about that? They already were like God. They already created his image, but they believed a lie and stepped out of the, I'm going to live for him and trust him and believe in him and stepped over into this world of, I'm going to believe in me and trust me. And I'm going to be the master of my destiny. I'm going to be the master of my fate, the Lord of my life. And I think the thing that we can take away tangibly from this tonight is we are not equipped that even in these, these things that we see here today, we have, we're not even close to having the reins on these things. And the, the, the earth is groaning to be restored and we're groaning to be restored. And the only right place for us to be in this picture is under the leadership of Christ is in complete submission to him as our Lord and entrusting that he will ultimately come back, redeem this broken earth, bring the new heaven and the new earth where we will, those two worlds will intersect again in a beautiful picture of us with Christ. He will be reigning as our King and we will be his people. And as it says in revelation, we will reign with him forever and ever. So it'll be a picture again of, of the garden where we will be working alongside Christ in, in his kingdom. It's beautiful, but it's broken when we take ourselves outside of that covering and, and decide for ourselves that we can make our own decisions. I think of my son Daxton was, uh, he's one and a half now and he's getting better at eating, but he was Everly. Our daughter was never really a picky eater. She would just eat anything. But Daxton was a picky eater. And so my wife was like, Oh man, it, it's such a struggle. Like he only wanted, uh, in and out French fries. What else would he eat? It was like it just in and out French fries is terrible. So I just told her, I was like, Hey, just don't, if he doesn't eat it, eventually he's going to come around. Like he's not going to, that was, I kept encouraging her, you know, like she, that's her little, her little one-year-old boy. So like her heart is breaking for him. I was like, the kids will not, he won't let himself starve. Like 
just don't give him lots. And eventually he's, he's going to eat something. You put anything in front of him, he's going to eat it. Cause his body's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to starve. But how that's, I feel like that's how we act a lot of times where we, uh, that was like one of his first words was no, because whatever food he didn't want, he would just push it away and like, no, no. And push it away. And thank God that the Lord doesn't deal with us this way. But what if we said, Oh, okay. Like you want to like Daxton, one-year-old boy, you want to make your own dietary choices. Okay. And we set him down in the kitchen and walk away. He's ill-equipped, right? Can't even reach into the cupboards. Can't even walk. Doesn't know how to make anything. Kid's going to starve. He's ill-equipped, but in his little idle factory brain where he's already, his sin nature is already showing of I'm living for me and only for me. And he's already, I, I taught on Wednesday night and I noticed this, like my kids are one and a half and three and a half and I'm super hard on them. Like these little sinners, but they are, um, but his little idle factory brain is making himself the Lord of his life. And he doesn't see how inadequate he is at that. He doesn't see, he's making these decisions of, I don't want to eat that. I don't want to eat that. And not realizing, oh my gosh, man, life is so much better. If you would just do, as I say, I see far more than you. I know more than you. I'm, I'm doing this. This is, your identity is, will be through me. And if you just listen to me, it's going to be good, but he's making his own decisions and he, he's veering, veering off and making himself the Lord of his life. We act like that all the time thinking that the, and it's the same sin that Adam and Eve, if, if we ever get so prideful and think, um, we wouldn't have fallen into that same thing all the time. We're making ourselves the Lord of our lives, believing that we can make the right decision and in Genesis days one through three, we see the magnitude of God. And if there's something you can take home from this, it's that we're ill-equipped. And that any time we place ourselves in the driver's seat as the Lord of our life, as the masters of our own fate, we only produce chaos. Whereas God, when he's in the driver's seat, he takes chaos and brings order into it. And whenever we take the reins, it inevitably will be order that in God's design, ultimately we're leading to chaos. There's a quote, uh, where is it? Um, see if, oh yeah. It says, if being the masters of our own fate only produces chaos, then we are truly the masters of nothing. That's totally us. Now we may think in certain areas of our life, like, well, I can get up and I can get myself dressed or I can drive a car. And, and we think of these things that, that we can control tangibly. And I think that's the beauty of going to the day one, two, and three. It's like, Hey, these foundational things, you may think you have it together. You may think that, um, you have something to offer that you have everything under control. And if you just grit down that you can get yourself out of any mess and that you have control and it's, I can grit it out or I can mentally ascend to get myself out of this problem that, uh, I'm special. I can, I can make it through. And you may think that, but that's our pride. It's the same thing with Adam and Eve believing. I don't trust God. I think I know better. And so I'm going to follow that and I'm going to make myself the Lord of my life. And ultimately we'll see 
the chaos forming around us from us making ourselves the Lord of our lives. And the beauty is, is that the Lord doesn't leave us. Like I was saying, leave my one-year-old son in the middle of the kitchen and say, all right, do your thing. The beauty is that the Lord then pursues us. Ephesians uh, 2.1 says we are dead in our trespasses. So we're unable to get ourselves to unable to feed ourselves. We're dead. And so we're in need of a savior who then would pursue us. And so that's the picture, uh, my wife or I, that we would walk into if when our son is being a little brat in a little idol factory, we don't set him in the kitchen and just walk away. He's unable to walk. He's dead in his ability to feed himself, to make himself breakfast, lunch, or dinner. He's dead in those, those things. And so what it takes is us coming to him and being that, that loving parent for him and feeding him. And hopefully he learns that uh, we're good parents, that he has a good dad, that he has a good mom. And that the best thing for him is to find his identity underneath that leadership, not outside that leadership. So in day one, two, and three, we've seen the, the picture of these three pillars, four five and six, as we go through it, you guys are going to see that they're going to mirror. So we're going to kind of day four is going to go back and mirror day one. Day five is going to go back and mirror day two and day Six is going to go back and mirror what we did today, even in the fact that it's kind of, uh, I don't know if you saw it in the literary style, but there was, it was kind of double where the other ones were single things happening. This one was kind of double. And as always, day seven is really awesome as we unpack what is then this great architect, what he has built and how we find our identity in him and how we find our identity in this great home that he has created. And then what are we supposed to be doing now as his people? We're in desperate need of a savior. We're in desperate need for him to be the Lord of our life, to be the master of our fate and the master of our destiny and not ourselves because we're not equipped. And so I pray that as we go through Genesis, you would constantly be reminded of his magnitude, of his greatness, that he not only has created all things matter, but he's also put everything into order and there's meaning and there's structure and we find our identity in him.